Welcome in. It's another edition of the Dylan and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star of the show, as always, is a very, very busy Greg Doyle, who will let you a little bit behind Oz's curtain here. Um, Greg did the Karis LeVert media availability today. We're taping right now on Tuesday, late afternoon, evening. Then he's got to head over to Hinkle, which I could throw a rock right now from where I'm sitting and, and probably hit the parking lot. So you've got a butler piece coming up as well. Um, it's funny, man. The work never really stops for you, does it? Um, well, I tell you what. First of all, I, I'm not going to Hinkle. Um, I'm going to cover the game off TV. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. So that gives you but, a little more time, at least. It does. Uh, but you know the the thing about uh, the thing about covering these games off TV, and I could be there if I wanted. There's no fans, or at least there's no fans at IU and Purdue games, and I can go to these things if I wanted to. But um, Frankly, I I don't see the need, and obviously we're going through dangerous times. And the thing is, is if you're committed to covering games off TV like I am, there's no off nights anymore because someone's playing every night. IU, Purdue, Pacers, Butler, and and uh, and then stuff happens like Karis LeVert gets traded here, and then Karis LeVert has a mass on his kidney, and then you know all kinds of craziness is happening. So it's it's a very busy time. But but uh, if that sounds like I'm complaining, I'm saying it wrong, or you're listening wrong because I'm not complaining. Well, and regardless, there's always a drawback. So either you go, do it from the comfort of home, but you have access to more games and your bosses know that. But it does save you, let's say, the 90-minute drive up to, let's say, from where you are on the south side on a Wednesday night in January when there might be a half a foot of snow on the ground. You know what I mean? So yeah, you kind yeah. of get that. Yeah, it's it's a little give, a little take. Um, let's start with Levert because I did see your tweet, and I know that you're working on the column. So maybe by the time people are listening to this, they've already read it. But um, how was that availability today? Did he, did he talk about the mass? Uh, what do you have to say about his new team? And kind of this weirdly coming full circle for him with him randomly being a, a Pacers selection all those years ago, but of course immediately being shipped to Brooklyn in the Thad Young trade. Yeah, um, that part never came up. And I've written about Levert now twice, and I haven't mentioned yet that the Pacers drafted him, um, which is kind of a weird – I mean, it's, it's obviously a weird um, trivia – piece and what we'll never know we'll never know is if the Pacers didn't have that trade for young in place would they have drafted Levert for themselves because if that's the case then this is really cool that four or five years later they've got him but if that's not the case then it's just that's just kind of an irrelevant little whatever but but the bigger thing is this trade may have saved his life and that's a mouthful but it we don't know yet actually Uh, Levert said he doesn't know if it's cancer, there it sounds like they're doing a biopsy and he'll find out. So he doesn't know two things. He doesn't know if he has cancer and he doesn't know if he's going to play this season, which is shocking, but I guess not really. He really doesn't know if he's going to play this year. Uh, he probably will, but we don't know that much. So it's all up in the air right now. But either, either way, there's just a lot to talk about with this guy, whether he plays or not. I've never seen any of his interviews, but – I'm familiar with him, and I think most people are, because if you're a Big Ten basketball fan, you remember watching him at Michigan, and uh, there are a couple of people in New York that I still follow, because I grew up watching those teams, and then somebody like Michael Grady, who works for the Nets organization, so just kind of like on an ancillary basis, I somewhat kept up with what Levert was doing, but he strikes me, Greg, as a guy that uh, never really got a chance to die there, either due to injury or because they were just there was just too much talent. Like, like for instance, this year he was their sixth man. Karis Levert would start on just about any other team in the NBA besides Brooklyn. 
Um, so, you know, some people were saying, well, the Pacers got a reserve. Yeah, I, I technically, I guess he was a reserve, but really that's doing him kind of a disservice, I think. Oh, for sure. And the thing about Levert is that he was a sixth man. And here's a guy that last year, first of all, he made the all NBA seed in seeding games, which is kind of a weird thing, but most teams were there. 23 of them, I think played in Orlando and they had a first team and a second team just for that segment. And of course, TJ Warren was on the first team. He's one of the five best players in the, in the bubble. Well, Karis LeVert was on the second five, one of the 10 best players in the bubble. And that was no fluke before the bubble. He again before the bubble, he had a triple double and a 50 point game three days apart back in March. So we're talking about a great player and went to the went to the bench this year, six man, and and it's just such a good guy that just did it, just did it and produced almost the exact same stats. I mean, eight points, assists, rebounds, shooting. He was putting up similar numbers to the year before, which goes to show not only is he good that he can do all that off the bench in limited minutes. But it shows that he wasn't pouting. He just does what he does. We're going to love this guy. We're going to love this guy. And I've said it before about other players, and I've been right. Um, I was right about Old Depot until we decided we couldn't stand him. And that was his fault, not ours. But this feels, it always feels different in real time. But um, Karis LeVert's, I mean, he's special. He's, I'm shocked that Old Depot turned out the way he did. I am shocked. Um, I will be at least as shocked and probably more if Levert turns out to be anything other than what I think he is, which is almost too good to be true. He's so good. He's and I mean, as a guy, I mean, as a guy, not just a sure. player. He's signed through 2023. So even if he doesn't play this year, that's still two full seasons. He has less on, left on his contract. And this kind of realigns the, the Pacers core with Warren Brogdon, Turner, Sabonis. I, I know some of those lengths vary, but you know, you have to assume in, in the short-term window here over the next two years, that's basically going to be your core. Um, is that core good enough to contend in your eyes, Greg? I know that's kind of an unfair question to ask with not not seeing Levert on the floor with these guys, but just on paper. Listen, um, this core, I mean, just it just now hit me just now. Um, this core reminds me in terms of star power slash not superstar power, but still star power with balance, with everything else. It reminds me of the, those Detroit Pistons teams that didn't win a title, but I think went to the conference finals, maybe even the NBA finals a couple times. Um, they had that gray starting five with no superstars. Rip Hamilton. Well, they they did win one of the titles. They, they, they upset the Lakers in 0-4. Uh, okay. Yeah, remember? Remember the Lakers signed Carl Malone and Gary Payton, and they had Kobe and Shaq, and they were coming off a three-peat, and then they lost. They, I think, they won Game One, and then the Pistons won four straight, and that was the Rip Hamilton, Ben Wallace team, and then they got back to the finals again and lost to San Antonio, and they were in the conference finals like every year. Is this where I'm supposed to be impressed that you remember all of that, or am I supposed to be weirded <laughs> out that you remember? All- I'm weirded out that you remember all that, Greg. That was right when I was in college. So that's like my wheelhouse of sports re- remembering and knowledge. You know what I mean? Like we all have like our, our five-year window where we know the most. And like the early 2000s for me was right in my wheelhouse. So yeah, don't feel bad. Well, I don't <laughs> feel bad even if I tell you that I'm not um, – I mean, I'm sorry. I was probably at some of those games. I was working for CBS at the time, and and they would send me to things like the NBA Finals. So – not only did I probably go to those games, 
and don't remember. But I went to those games, don't remember, and don't remember who won. Still, I do remember the Pistons had a great starting five. I, I, let me see. It was Hamilton, Billups, um, Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, and somebody else. Tayshawn Prince, right? So, oh, Jesus. Right. So I and that five probably is better than the Pacers starting five right now. I'm sure it is, but but this starting five reminds me of that in terms of there's not any one guy that you say is an MVP, but there's like who's the worst starter? The worst starter is who I mean, I don't mean to be mean, but if Miles Turner is the worst starter, I mean, holy cow. So you're asking me, what do I think the ceiling is? Can they contend? Yeah, they can cont- this starting five can contend if they can stay healthy. We don't even know if TJ Warren's gonna play this year. Um, Nate Bjorkren, I don't think committed to him playing this year. I mean, he, at the very least, he wouldn't say when um, with the, the foot issue he's got and the surgery he had. And Karis LeVert has said he's not committing, committing to playing this year. I think he will, but we don't know that. So it's hard to say, but I guess the better way to say this is that next year when they're all back, they're all healthy and they have a little bit of chemistry next year, this could be an NBA finalist. I mean, I think it, I, I'm really impressed. Yeah, it just sucks because, you know, you look at the landscape of the NBA and the super teams, and look, I, I know that there's a really good chance that this Harden-Kyrie-KD thing in Brooklyn blows up, but, I mean, you're talking about three of the ten best, eight best players in the league, and they're all on one team. You know what I mean? Like, as good as TJ Warren and some of these other guys are, um, I just think it, it's tough to have. In 2003, it was great where you could have a bunch of like B level players and, and you're able to, to win at a really high level. It's just becoming more difficult to do that in today's NBA, it feels like. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But yeah, the question is do you have a shot? You know, do you? Yeah. And the Pacers, and I know you know this, but the Pacers last, I mean, well, forever. Well, I guess in 13, 14, they had a shot, but. You want to feel like you have a shot, and uh-huh. since fourteen, they haven't had a shot. They haven't had a chance, and and you knew it. And this this starting five, once they all get healthy, and I'm assuming they all will, this they will have a shot against anybody. They will in a seven game series. They'll have a shot against anybody. I know his exit left a poor taste in your mouth with what happened with Oladipo, and it did with a lot of Pacers fans. But, you know, kind of reading through it, and I'm not sure what it was like for you on Twitter, uh, it seemed that most fans were kind of like, let bygones be bygones. Okay, see you later. Thanks for the memories. Like, it it didn't feel as, uh, like, there was as much vitriol as there was with the Paul George exit. How do you think ultimately, and I'm, I'm not just asking, like, how you feel about it, but ultimately, like, the Pacers fan base as a whole, how do you think Victor Oladipo is going to be remembered here 5, 10, 15 years from now? Not well. And I could be, you know, it's called recency bias and I'm, I'm aware of it. And I, I don't know how to get out of recency bias. I'm, I'm a prisoner to it quite a bit and I don't care. I'm okay with that. I, I'm a, you know, we all have different strengths and some people's strengths is whatever it is. My strength such as it is, is that I'm very emotional and very transparent, and I say exactly what I think at all times, and things change. When you're, when you're that way, when you're more emotional than intellectual, things change on you. And I'm okay with that because uh, in, in, in every single moment, I'm very sincere. So if things change, they change. Um, and sincerely, right now, Old Depot exposed what he is to this fan base. And I, I didn't see – and you follow and probably are followed by more Pacers fans than me um, – but the reaction I saw was very much 50-50 at best and maybe worse than that. 
Like, get out of here, Vic. Don't let the doorknob hit you. And that's certainly how I feel. Like, I don't want to hear word. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure his statement, the, the, the ad he took out in my newspaper, which is going to help pay my salary for a week, I should be grateful for it. But I, I'm sure the words there were, were wonderful. He's a smart guy, and whoever wrote it for him, if it wasn't him, he's got a whole team of people around him. Um, although he's actually the smartest guy on his team. His agent, his all of his handlers, they're all idiots. You know, Old Depot is the smartest guy there, but so I'm sure he wrote it. But anyway, I'm sure the words were nice. I'm sure they were nice. Good for you, Old Depot. And I don't care. I don't care how nice those words were. You know, it's like um, it's like what happened, frankly, in the in the state in the U.S. Capitol last week. There are people now with words trying to spin it that it was maybe it was Antifa behind the, the that, and maybe it was. Black Lives Matter was behind it. It's all a big plot to make Trump and everybody else look bad. And Rudy Giuliani is talking about how someday the truth's going to come out. Hey, Rudy, truth is out. I don't need words right now. I saw what happened. Same thing with Old Depot. I don't need nice words right now from Vic. I saw what happened for 18 months, Vic. I, I know what you are. And this fan base that has never gotten over Paul George, nor should you, I don't think they're going to get over Old Depot, nor should they. I think they will. Uh, I think the is raw right now, given the foundation that he laid with IU. You know what I mean? Like Paul George's only legacy here is what he did as a pacer, whereas Oladipo still has all the IU stuff that I think people remember fondly, especially IU fans and even Purdue fans. I think respected that. So I don't know. I mean, it's impossible to judge in the moment because it's still just so new and raw, but. I don't know. It, it struck me a little bit that I, I thought, oh, okay, maybe people are somewhat okay with this, like not throwing parties and tearful goodbyes for Victor Oladipo, but at the same time, not, you know, kicking them out the door or anything. But, you know, your, your mileage may vary. And I, I understand people are different on Twitter. There were, there were some people in my mentions that said, hey, don't let the door hit you on the way out. You know, you suck. What, exactly did, he, so. what exactly did he do? He, I mean, the, the, the IU... They didn't do anything. They they underachieved a, and then off the off the court. What has he ever done? Like what is he? Well, I, you know, I take that back. I apologize, and I don't need you to delete this. But I wish I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> I know that off the court he befriended a lot of people, yeah. kids with cancer. He did good things off the court. I, I take that back. But still, having said all that, I I don't think his legacy at IU is so great that. It matters. I just don't, they, I don't. They've stunk. They've stunk for 25 years, and he played on two of their only. They, they've had like five good teams in a quarter century, and he played on two of them. So I think that's what people remember. Uh, you're right. I mean, a Sweet 16 and a Big Ten championship. Eh, it's not like it's a, a national title or anything like that. And I'm not trying to overstate what he did there, but he was a fan favorite there. And so I think people still have that as a positive memory. And I think, you know, what happened with his exit and all of that, it, it sucks. Like, does it make him a bad guy? I don't know. Does it make him a, an guy? Did he listen to the wrong people? Yeah, probably. But at the end of the day, like, I, I can't bring myself to hate Vic Oladipo. You know what I mean, Greg? And I, I think Pacers fans, a lot of them, maybe they don't care that he's gone, but I don't think they hate him like they hate Paul George. I hear you there. Uh, for sure, I hear you there. And 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 to be fair to Paul George's legacy, um, I don't think anybody could be disliked as much as Paul George no. for for being a for being a for being a a decent human being in the real world. I mean, he does he hadn't hurt anybody. He doesn't get arrested for anything. I mean, he's not that kind of a bad guy. But but for the for the for the bad guy non criminal division, he's way up there. 
uh, the way he handled stuff. And and Victor has not done that. But still, you know, I dealt with Victor in a, in a way different from most people in that I, I was on these Zoom calls from Orlando with him after every game. And I saw the way he was acting um, to me. But, of course, I was the one writing about who he was. But I, but the way he acted about the way the things he said to, to everybody about everything um, – I don't know. I, 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 recency bias, maybe so, but I didn't like him. I don't like him. I'm not gonna like him in ten years. No, the Victor Oladipo last year was not a likable guy. I, I thought that he did change some things, and he seemed to be a little bit more on board this year. But you know, ultimately, the writing was already on the wall that that divorce was inevitable. I, even with the reports of the Pacers offering 25 mil, I think the Pacers offered that knowing that Oladipo was gonna turn it down, just to say, hey, look, we offered something, but. You know, it's over now, so we don't have to talk about it on every podcast. It's a good thing. Now we can just talk about who the Colts are going to have a quarterback in 2021 for every show for the next eight months or whatever it is. <laughs> Groundhog uh, Day. <laughs> let's get to college hoops. Purdue's got an interesting one against Ohio State. They're surging right now. They've won three straight. Um, obviously, they beat Indiana for the 800th or whatever time in a row. Um, Indiana now floundering, just like they were for the last couple of years, just like they've been for the better part of the last quarter century, as we mentioned. Um, let's start with Purdue, though, because I, I liked what you wrote about them, this freshman class and, and these young players. Like, Greg, this was supposed to be a transition year for them. Like, they weren't they weren't really supposed to win at a high level. And, and look, I, I don't think they're going to be a Final Four team or anything crazy like that. But I, as always, Matt Painter seems to squeeze every drop out of his teams, and it looks like he's squeezing every drop out of this one. Yeah, um, he is. This team was... It seemed to be mediocre about ten days ago, and it was mediocre. It was what eight and five, three and three, or eight and five, two and three. I mean, it was it was not great. But it is one of the ten or fifteen youngest teams in the country, and there's three hundred fifty teams in the country. But as KenPom.com did an analysis of every roster and and gave it a, a score based on numbers of years of experience, and Purdue is one of the ten youngest teams in college basketball. So they are by definition, if they're coached well, and they are just going to get better as the year rolls on. Um, so we're seeing that, you know, and I need to, I need to write this story in a, in a week or so. I, I don't, you know, whenever I have time, there's games every day, but I want to write this, that uh, next year, not this year, next year, Purdue, that's a final four team next year. Now they need everybody to come back and be healthy. And in yeah. this day and age, who the hell knows, but Trevion Williams, Zach Eady, and the two freshmen coming in next year, Caleb first and, and Trey Kaufman, and then Mason Gillis. Those five guys are your three, four, and five. Are you kidding me? And then, and then, oh by the way, your guard's gonna be Jaden Ivy, who's apparently gonna be the best guard on this team one day. Like that's how good he is, but he's not showing it yet. But that's how good he is. Brandon Newman's a pro. Stefanovich is just a great, great shooter. And I'm leaving. Ethan Morton's gonna be fine. I'm leaving people out. They're gonna have like eleven really good players yeah. next year. That's a Final Four team. Eric Hunter, Isaiah Thompson. You know Eric I mean? Hunter. Like, yeah, Sorry. Was, I love Eric Hunter. Sorry. And he'll be a senior next year. So, right. yeah. I, I No, I, I'm totally with you. Um, and maybe it's unfair to compare their freshman class to Indiana's because you've got some guys like Gillis and Newman who redshirted, whereas Christian Lander really, for all intents and purposes, be a high school senior right now. But I, I think it just shows kind of the gap between the programs right now, Greg, is that, you know, Indiana's freshman class was all, hey, look, we're top 15 and Leal and Galloway and, you know, uh, and all of it, Lander, five-star, and, and 
none of those guys really are doing anything. And and the one are are bit players. And it's not all their fault. I mean, in, Indiana's underachieving, I think, because Rob Finnessy and, and Al Durham on most nights stink. And when you get guard play that stinks, it, it's really tough to win. Um, but that that has also struck me that Purdue's young players look so great and Indiana's who came in all decorated, you're saying to yourself, Hey, what when's this gonna click for them? The, there is um there is, and I, I'm pausing because I, I know what I'm about to say and how it's going to go over, but there is no question that Purdue has a great coach. You know, you talk about uh, sometimes in golf, like who's the best player without a major? And, uh, and in, in college basketball, sometimes it's who's the best coach without a Final Four or a national title. Um, Matt Painter's the best coach in college basketball without a Final Four appearance. I, there's no doubt about that. That's the only thing missing, and that's obviously a big thing. I get it, but uh, I mean, he's great. He's great, 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 great. Archie Miller's not, and when Archie Miller got hired, you know, and, and I knew him at NC State, and and so I, you know, I got recency bias working against me, and I've also got just, you know, I know who I, I wanted to believe he was better than he was, I guess. Um, and I wrote that he was a grand slam home run tape measure shot. I wrote these things, and. You know, and I, you know, I was wrong, I guess, but I know, I know I was wrong. But anyway, I, I'm okay with writing the way I write. But uh, you know, he had he and Tom Crean had something in, in common before they got the IU job. Both of them had the best job in another conference, and did what you do when you got the best job in a conference. They won. Tom Marquette's the best job in the Big East. It just as far as I mean, maybe Villanova. I don't know. Maybe others are, but. Nobody pours more money into college basketball program than Marquette. That that's a little known fact, but that's a fact. And everybody all in college basketball, they talk about Marquette's the best job in that conference. Well, and they, we're talking ten years ago before Nova started cranking out national titles and all that too. When when Tom Crean was, you know, I, I think you can make that argument for Marquette for sure. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes, and then Dayton is absolutely the best job in the A10. Look at guys that go there and then get fired somewhere else. Uh, Gregory um, went to Georgia Tech and got fired. Um, Wright went to Alabama, I think, and got fired. And he's back there again. And he's winning again. I think his name is Wright, um, the Dayton coach. But the the African American guy. Yeah, what's his name? Is it Anthony Wright? Anthony Grant. Grant. Anthony Grant. Okay. Right. Yeah. So Gregory went to Georgia Tech, got fired, but he won big at Dayton. Anthony Grant won big there. Went to Alabama, got fired. He's back. He's winning big again. Archie Miller won big. Um, and he's not getting it done at IU. I think at some point you have to realize, we all have to realize that, that, that he's good. I mean, he went to Dayton and did what you should do if you're good, but at IU, you got to be great. And they haven't had a great coach in quite a while and they don't have one now. Purdue's got a great coach. Yeah. And it's just disappointing, Greg. Cause it's like, I feel like watching IU, it's, it's the same team. It's like the same crappy team that are like stuck in this mediocrity vortex over the last five or six years where, like they're they're not terrible. They're they're just not any good. You know what I mean? They're just like there, and yeah. they're gonna go. You know, eighteen and thirteen, and and try to fight their way onto the NCAA tournament bubble. And it's just a it's a really like frustrating purgatory for them to be because it shouldn't be difficult to make the NCAA tournament. It's really not that hard at the end of the day to get in. You just have to be pretty okay to to earn your way into an, an at large bid. And I don't know especially, why that's been so difficult for Indiana. Especially if you're Indiana. And, and Indiana yeah. is not its not the job that – I think most people get this now, but it's not the job that the, the hardest core diehards want to believe. You know, it, They've won all those titles, 
and it's therefore in a top 10 job nationally. It's not, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And this state has great players. We all know that. Just And, and I use getting their share of them. What's amazing is that they make the same mistake in recruiting every year. Is they don't add great shooters. Not even one. I mean, Lil's supposed to be, and maybe he will be. Christian Lander has a chance someday, but he's not ready. And, you know, if if I'm Lander's parents, I'm – I am not happy, and uh, and I've not called them, and I'm not going to call them. You're not supposed to call families of players, and I'm not going to do it. Um, and furthermore, I you know what 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 purpose would it serve right now to even if they gave me a great story that got a million clicks? What what purpose would it serve to have a quote from the Lander family, assuming they're not happy that Christian is there, you know, reclassified, and that they might love it? I don't want to put words in their mouth. I have no idea. But if I'm the family, I'm like, wait a minute, our son. Gave up his senior year, gave up a shot at Mr. Basketball, gave up everything you give up to go to school a year early. And he's playing five minutes a game and, and shouldn't play those five. You know, he's not ready. And he's, it's in his head now. It's all it's a confidence thing. I mean, he's now missing the rim every time he shoots. Sometimes it goes in off the – he's made two – his last two three-pointers he's made, and he hadn't made many, but the last two, they banked in. Otherwise, he's missing everything every time. He's not ready. Meanwhile, so but IU thought they needed a point guard. It was their idea. Let's reclassify this. It was their idea. It wasn't Lander's idea. They said, "Hey, we come reclassify. You can do this and play for us." Meanwhile, Purdue Painter recruits guys and then redshirts them. Like I could use you for five minutes, Brandon Newman. I'd rather you though be here for five years and be great five years from now. So Painter redshirts guys. IU hurries them in a year early. Is it any wonder that one team is kicking the other team's butt every year? Yeah, geez, eight in a row and five in a row now at Assembly Hall, which is just incredible to think about. I mean, I I was still I'm still old enough to remember when it, IU won like 56 straight games at Assembly Hall in the 90s, and that feels like, of course, ancient history now. Um, let's fit in some Colts talk because you were at uh, Chris Bauer's availability, or you were part of that call. Uh, you wrote about him and and the quarterback situation. They're picking 21st. You know, they're waiting to see if Rivers wants to play. Um, I know you've gone on the record, Greg, and said that you think Rivers is the odds-on favorite. I think everybody thinks Rivers is the odds-on favorite to be back. Um, but if if there is – did you get the vibe from Bauer that if something is there for the taking, he'll he'll take it? Or is he just not interested, you think, in this, in this quarterback class here in the upcoming draft in a few months? Well, I, I – you know, I – I pay close attention to the people I, I cover, and, and I, I like to think, and I'm, I'm not right, but I like to think that I kind of can read between the lines really good, and and I and, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I can, you know, but but Ballard, I can't. I can't guess with him. I can't read him. Um, he's very, very good at, at sending out mixed messages, or if it's a clear message, it's the wrong message. I mean, he's he's really good. I can't I can't get a handle on that guy. I don't know what he's thinking with quarterbacks. I don't know. Um, I do think that, I do think that barring something crazy, barring some guy, they really like falling to them in the first round that they are more than fine with rivers. I mean, Ballard did say, and Reich has said this too, that, you know, they're close, they're close to the, to the Super Bowl with this team, with, with these guys, they're close. And, you know, Buffalo looking as great as it's looked in the playoffs, only, only one team's, you know, looked like it should have beat them. And that was the Colts. So and, and and Rivers got better as the year went on, and I just I, I do think that that there is a plan to bring back Rivers unless lightning strikes, and then they accept it. But I don't think lightning's going to strike, and I think they're prepared for Rivers, and that's how it's going to go down. 
You think that they would consider bringing back Rivers as a starter next year and drafting somebody as sort of a QB? I know they've got Eason on the roster, but with Brissett also a free agent, you think they draft somebody in a QB in waiting situation? No, I don't. Um, now, I mean, they they drafted Eason last year, so yeah, like like that. Okay, yeah. But do I think they would draft, for example, if if Trey Lance of North Dakota State is available at twenty one or that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, would they draft a guy at twenty one, and then no, because I think if they think Rivers is the guy, and they don't think whoever's there to be drafted is ready right now, they wouldn't, you know, air quotes here, but they wouldn't waste a number one pick on a player that won't play this year. If they think they're close to the Rivers, they're going to do everything they can to make this team win a Super Bowl in twenty twenty one. And then worry about the quarterback the next year. Kick the can down the road. That's what I think they do. You excited about um, Tom Brady playing in another your guy playing in another conference championship game with a new team and a new conference? It makes me sick. It, <laughs> ma- it makes me sick. You know, I, I am quite pleased that New England stunk without him. Quite pleased. Mm. Quite pleased that Belichick has still not been to the playoffs yet without Tom Brady. Not yet. Yeah. Um, the one year Brady didn't play. When he was hurt, they had Castle at quarterback. I don't think they went to the playoffs. He didn't go to the playoffs in Cleveland. He hadn't gone to the playoffs yet without Tom Brady. And he probably never will before he retires. And I think that's an important thing in his legacy. Um, Also, he cheated. That's important. Um, I'm happy that Josh McDaniels still hadn't done anything without Tom Brady. Nothing. Josh McDaniels, I mean, he sucks. You're right. If his quarterback is anybody but TB12, he sucks. Um, So I'm quite pleased that New England has fallen apart this year. But I'm equally unpleased that Tampa Bay is surging. I mean, Brady is Brady is obviously – I mean, obviously, he's special. He didn't need to cheat. He didn't need the football deflated. Why he did that, I don't know. He Only he knows. He didn't need to, but he did. Um, but, damn, he's good, and I hate that he's good, uh, but he's good. And I don't like that Tampa Bay's good because they're, they're, they're bringing in players. They don't care what your background is. They're kind of like Kansas City Chiefs. They don't care, like and like the Patriots used to be. They don't care what your background is. If you're really good, they'll bring you in. And I hate that. I don't like teams like that being rewarded. I like that the Colts will not do that. I love that. And it might mean they won't win a, won't win a Super Bowl. It might. But I would rather this – and I'm not a fan, but I'd rather this team do what it does every year, win 11 games, do what they do, never win a bowl, Super Bowl, than bring in a Tyreek Hill. And then you win one, no thanks. Big wild card here is Mahomes' status, even though I saw there was a report today he he crossed a couple of the thresholds he needed to cross in the concussion protocol, and he's making some progress. But um, if you had to pick today with these final four teams, who's your champion? Kansas City. And uh, is there any doubt that he's going to play? I mean, that, and I, I hate He'll to, I hate to yeah. say – huh? He'll play. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I hate to – Throw out, and I'm sorry, we're, our internet connection's a little bit pausey, so I'm talking sorry, over you, I think. But um, I hate to say this. You know, some people, a lot of people on Twitter, whatever, they throw out hypotheticals, and they say them like it's a fact, and then they, re- then they like, lean back like they've won the argument. Like, you just made something up that might be true, and then you lean back like you won. So I don't want to do that here when I, when I say, the, say this, but there's no way he won't play. There's just no – I mean, is there any possible way? I mean, the Chiefs – they are a scummy organization. They're the worst. Not the. They're one of the worst. Look at their roster. It's terrible. It's great, but it's terrible. 
and look at their their history. It's been terrible. He's playing, and maybe he deserves to play. I mean, maybe he'll be healthy. Maybe he'll be fine. But he's playing. One way or another, he's playing. And uh, there's just no doubt about that. I've become such a big Andy Reid fan, though. Screw Andy Reid. Maybe maybe I'm overlooking their roster. I love me. I love me some Andy Reid. I always thought that people gave him such a hard time. And I was one of those people, I guess, that did it, too. But the the fourth and inches call, all that stuff. I I love it. I love that. That's the way. Again, Greg, we're seeing Frank Reich, I think, be vindicated for his philosophy with what has played out in these playoffs, where fortune favors the bold. Right where you go for it and you put your team, you trust your team, and th- that do that more often than not seem to win. Whereas the coaches that don't, like Vrabel or like what Tomlin did, and we talked about it last week, lose. Yeah, and if your if your coach is going to be imperfect, if he's not going to make the right call every time, do you want him to miss because he's too cautious, or do you want him to miss because he's too outrageous? Clearly, outrageous is a lot more fun and likable than cautious, <laughs> sure. but. Screw Andy Reid. Screw screw him and his happy, jovial, looks like a walrus, looks like Craig Stadler. You know, screw him. I mean, look at who he – he's like that benevolent – he's like 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 uh, Joe Paterno used to be, like uh, Bobby Bowden used to be, like kind of old, kind of beloved, kind of harmless, and yet look at what's happening in their programs, Whether whatever it is. It's different levels of, of badness. But, like, I don't care how nice you are and how much – what a nice granddad you'd probably be, and I don't – Look who's on your team. Look what you're allowing to happen. Look what you're allowing to who you're allowing to lead you into the playoffs. Screw you, Andy Reid. I don't care. I'm just gonna start compiling a list now that this has become an every week thing. Where Chiano and we've got Andy Reid on that list, and uh, Lane Kiffin, I think, was on your list as well. I feel like I'm leaving out some people that just check them off on on Doyle's bleep list when it comes to coaches. Oh, you're late. You're forgetting the coach of my alma mater for sure. Oh, that's Mullen. Mullen. Yeah. That's the, I, was, I was trying to think who did he rant about last week? Yeah. Screw him about too. Mullen. Yeah. Screw Dan Mullen too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen to, to be, and there's a reason there's a lot of football coaches on that list to be a great football coach. You don't have to be a bad guy. You don't have to, there are good guys that have won. There are, but that sport is so cutthroat. And, and putting a roster together, whether it's college or pro, it's such a cutthroat proposition. And you have to be willing to do some things that and, and overlook some things and whatever. To, to I get it. I mean, I get why people do it. And if I was a football coach, maybe I'd do the same thing. But I, I like to think no. But, man, I just there's a lot of there's a lot of guys that I say screw you about in football. And it's just a stand I'm willing to, you know, it's, it's a it's a, a hill I'm willing to die on. You know, it's just I, I just. Some people have different hills. This is one of my hills. Screw you guys. Check out Greg's latest work, Karis LeVert, coming up here. If it's not already up, it will be soon by the time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Butler tonight as well, coming off a big win over Creighton. Uh, Ballard in the quarterback situation and more. Um, You can check that out, IndyStar.com, where you can go and subscribe, not only to Greg, but all kinds of great local sports coverage and journalism. Uh, Quarry and Schultz airs Tuesday night, ISC Sports Network. You can check out all that info, QuarryandSchultz.com. You can also follow us both on Twitter at Greg Doyle Star and at Schultz975. And, and every Tuesday, usually at some point, uh, Clark and Nat and the rest of the crew over there at the Star get this podcast up. So you can, of course, always check us out every single week. Uh, have a great time watching the dogs, Greg. And we'll talk to you next week about another coach you hate and the Super Bowl, I guess. Yeah, whoever that coach is, screw that guy. And, uh, <laughs> 
Talk to you soon, Derek. See you, buddy.